I always had an overactive imagination. And yeah, I could get over emotional. Not to mention I was always weird. So I guess I couldn't blame the people of Stanwick, Georgia, when they didn't believe a werewolf killed my family. And not many people believe me. Ashley Nelson, the quiet geek, the tall, fit, black girl, even then, I was lonely and constantly alienated by my classmates. My long, wavy black hair and big brown eyes always besieged by restless mannerisms. Regardless of my quirky fashion and cute glasses, I had a social anxiety I could never harness, a low self-esteem I constantly struggled with, and a quick temper I constantly suppressed. But on that awful April night, my issues were overshadowed by tragedy. At sixteen, what little innocence I had was forever shattered. The police came to my house around midnight, way too late to save my parents or younger brother, Chris, from the monster, and way too late to save me from the paralyzing trauma. Our house was a mess, a crime scene closer to a slasher movie than anything resembling real life. Blood and flesh were our new wallpaper, severed limbs and scattered organs our new furniture. This was a redecorating job sculptured by slaughter, and I was the sole survivor found cowering alone in my room, covered in blood with a few cuts, no bruises, no serious injuries, and yet the police didn't believe my story. Hardly anyone believed me when I said a werewolf killed my family. But ultimately, I wasn't charged for the massacre. Instead, I was set free to the wild, free to an unforgiving public. After the summer, my senior year crawled by. Now living with my grandparents, I really had no one to turn to. Not my parents, not Chris. I was alone and against the world. Even grandma and grandpa never talked to me. Like prison guards, they just kept watching over me, behind suspicious glares. Then again, so did all of Stanwyck High. I was the girl who literally cried wolf. And now I was even more hated by my classmates, even more ostracized, and needless to say, my teachers and counselors were less than supportive. In the span of a few months, I'd gone from being ignored to outright despised, from alienated Ashley to the wolf girl. Anonymous internet death threats became normal, as did all those dirty looks in public. I was constantly called wolf bitch by Carol Lane and her preppy best friends. I guess I should have been glad I was never charged. There was no evidence against me. I talked to the cops and I told them what happened, how I could do nothing but run to my bedroom, that by the time the werewolf ripped open Chris's innards, my parents were long dead, and I could do nothing. I couldn't help if I was lucky enough to survive. While I escaped the lycanthrope, I couldn't escape the suspicions. I heard everyone's excuses, everyone's theories. I heard them whisper behind closed doors, shouted on TV, or in all caps on the internet. All the stories that I was a crazy geek who enjoyed horror movies a little too much. Nobody believed me except my boyfriend, Patrick. He was soulful and introspective, 
With messy brown hair and bright green eyes, Patrick was cute but quirky. The same height as me at 5'8", and a total weirdo as well. Even so skinny, he still had a nice body. And to top it off, Patrick loved writing scary stories. I guess our shared creativity helped fuel our passionate relationship. Not to mention our shared love of horror. Patrick had actually been at my house before I saw the werewolf. He left before nightfall. Before the monster left my family in pieces. And like me, Patrick had been questioned by the police and also suspected by almost everyone here in Stanwick. The constant hatred made Patrick and I feel like outlaws at 17, but we did the best we could. And through it all, I loved Patrick and always depended on him, especially since he was the only person who believed me. Patrick was my therapy, and of course the sex was passionate. Patrick made sure of that. But through all the negativity, we had each other, and that was all we needed. By the middle of September, Patrick and I were surviving the torturous prison sentence that was senior year. We were doing okay, though, until Carol Lane got a hold of us. Right after third block, she stopped us during our march to the library. Hi, Ashley, Carol's playful southern accent yelled. Helpless, Patrick and I stopped right outside the library, cornered by Carol. Under the dim lighting, we knew no one would be near the library or its long untouched books to help us. Like a gang leader, Carol led her army towards us. All of them were dressed in uniform, all of them in tight name brand ripped jeans and even tighter name brand shirts. There was Carol Lane and all her blonde hair, blue eyed southern belle glory. Carol, the future prom queen, future valedictorian, and current bitch. Her boyfriend, Roy, nothing more than an eye candy distraction. He was a dumber and taller version of Carol, complete with big muscles, curly blonde hair, and flawless skin. Just the type of meathead dunce Carol would likely dump after graduation for smarter, hotter men. Behind the couple lurked their hangers-on, Frank, Jean, and Becky. Frank and Jean were the B-list couple to Stanwyck High royalty like Carol and Roy. Yeah, they were attractive, but not quite as hot or rich as their idols. Frank was pale with dark hair, social but too corny and silly to be funny. Jean was a light-skinned black girl with big glasses, strong-willed with a long, lean figure. And then there was Becky. I figured she was the ugly one of the bunch, but... Then again, with her long black hair, I guess she was a bit cute behind the extra pounds and thick makeup. Probably could have been much prettier if her self-esteem or fame from being Carol's childhood friend would allow it. Or if Becky wasn't such a grade-A cunt. We just wanted to invite y'all to the party, Carol told us. She exchanged smiles with Roy. Just a little get-together at my house. Yeah, it'll be fun. Becky chimed in, excitement in her squeaky voice. Carol shined her glowing blue eyes towards me. We'd like to get to know you more, Ashley. Slowly remorse, showing remorse, she paused. A fresh start. Nervous, I looked at Patrick. 
I like to think I wasn't starstruck by these assholes, but I was. I couldn't say a word. Couldn't tell Carol and her cronies what a pack of assholes they'd been, nor could I tell them to fuck off. Instead, my mind went blank. Honestly, I'd always had a hard time standing up for myself, much less when I was being confronted by Stanwyck High royalty. Patrick just flashed me a confident grin, totally unfazed by the cool kids. Maybe we should go, he said. He helped me shake off the silence. I, I, I don't know, I said. I faced Carol. It's at your house? Yeah, Carol answered with equal parts friendliness and exuberance. It'll be chill, I promise. I hesitated. I, I don't know. I could feel the click's collective pretty eyes beaming on me like spotlights. Just let me think about it. With a delicate but persuasive touch, Patrick squeezed my hand. Nah, we'll go. Struggling to suppress my anxiety, I glared at Patrick, but his confident smile, his sheer handsomeness crushed my anger. Carol and her gang lit up with smiles of perfect white teeth. Good, Carol said. Be in my house around five. Still conflicted, I confronted Carol. That's kind of early, isn't it? I asked. Not really, she replied. Carol glanced at her comrades for the support she could always count on. That's what time we usually started. Yeah, that gives us more time to party, Jean added. To my dismay, Patrick didn't fight back. Well, we'll be there, he said. My self-conscious insecurities kept me from groaning right there on the spot. Not only was I a prisoner at Stanwyck High, now I'd been trapped at Carol's house on a Friday night. Before I could persuade Patrick, Carol rode her gang off into the sunset, back to the wilderness of our high school cafeteria. We'll see you there, Carol yelled towards us. For emphasis, Roy let out a playful howl, a call of the idiots. Patrick, what the hell was that? I muttered, annoyed. Patrick smiled at me, his cuteness a temporary remedy for my dread. What? He said. It's just a party, babe. A party from hell, I grumbled. Patrick's left hand caressed my face. Look, we'll have fun, alright? I got lost in his green eyes. Yet another cure for my constant worry. And if it sucks, we're going to leave early, Patrick continued. I guess he had a point. From what I heard, Carol had a Lake Douglas mansion, an isolated fortress by the water. And she also had a shitload of Jose Cuervo. At the very least, Patrick and I could attend for the booze, and hopefully get too fucked up to have to deal with any of Carol's bullshit. So I let Patrick drive us over there. His car was easily the ugliest one in the long-paved driveway, but we didn't care. By now, both Patrick's chill mood and our little pre-gaming helped me relax. Walking hand-in-hand, hand, Patrick led me up to Carol's garage door, right past all the lovely cars and cute lawn ornaments, like a South Georgia Hollywood. Like Douglas had hills, privacy, and a variety of million-dollar views and Carol's two-story house was no exception to the neighbor's luxurious standards. Inside, I was surprised by the low-key party 
Not that it was lame or lacking, it was just more chill than I expected. Instead of sorority-like antics or frat house theatrics, all of us just sat in the living room's main recliners and sofas. Just me, Patrick, Carol, and the rest of her tight-knit clique. The five of them still wore their expressive uniforms, while Patrick and I rocked our colorful thrift shop finds. My Caribbean blouse, a stark contrast to their pretty blandness, on the huge flat-screen TV, top 40 music videos played at a low volume. In the corner, a small bar featuring Carol's notorious treasure chest of alcohol. A hallway connected the living room to all the bedrooms. Small-town ornaments gave the house a wholesome charm, while large picture frames showed off photos of Carol and her eternally on-vacation parents. The frames repressed a sprawling chronology of Carol Lane from Innocent Baby to Conceited Teenager. The booze was potent, strong, and absolutely fucking amazing. This wasn't PBR or Natty Light. You got what you paid for here at Lake Douglas. Throughout the party, everyone stayed in their zones. Outside of pedestrian conversations, no one amongst our outcasts and preps dared cross over to the other side. Not that I minded. As the hours went by, Patrick and I were having fun just chilling and listening to music. Around seven, I stole a glance out a window. The sun was beginning to fade, and once darkness hit, I suspected Carol's calm guard and party would throw into a rowdy nightclub, would turn into a rowdy nightclub, one I was eager to escape. Carol stood up and muted the flat screen. All eyes went on her as she placed her humongous purse on top of the TV. Like she was ready to deliver a toast, Carol held up her red plastic cup. I'm glad everyone can make it tonight. She displayed a wicked smile. We have quite the special event in store. Confused, I faced Patrick. Special event? I asked, my voice louder due to the booze. Cackling, Roy pointed at us. It's just for you, Ashley. Just for Ashley, Jean shouted with drunken enthusiasm. The anxiety roared through me, even through the liquor. Patrick, what are they talking about? Patrick's hand caressed my arm, but not even that could soothe my swirling unease. It's okay, babe, he said. Carol motioned towards the windows. Becky, close the blinds. At Carol's command, Becky lowered all the heavy blinds, squashing the stray sunlight. A few ceiling lights were now our only solace in this upper-class cavern. Awkwardly, I looked all around us. Carol's gang now gathered by the TV. I, I don't understand, I said, looking at Patrick's calm face. What's going on? His grip tightened around my arm. Babe, just relax. No. I pulled away from him and confronted the preps. What the hell is this? We're trying to help you, Ashley, Carol said in a moderate but authoritative tone. Roy pulled Carol in towards him. Yeah, we're going to catch a werewolf. Like a laugh track, all their friends forced a chuckle. I placed my cup on the floor and stood up, my mind somewhere between outraged and intrigued. Is this a fucking joke? I asked. My voice came off weak. I was nothing more than an intimidated mess. Sensing my unease, Patrick grabbed my hand. Babe, they're serious. What? 
Patrick stood next to me. I already talked to them, Ash. They want to help. That's all they want to do. He leans in closer. I know you weren't lying, babe. I always knew, and now we're going to prove it. Carol strutted up to us. At first, I didn't believe you. She stopped right in front of me, her poise the polar opposite of my defensive demeanor. But then I figured it out. We all did, Jean added. So you've seen him? I asked, excited. I stole a look at the lineup of cool kids. For once, even Roy was serious. You guys really believe me? Yep, Becky retorted. We know the truth, Ashley, Carol said. A werewolf did kill your family. Feeling relieved, I struggled to suppress my tears. My emotions went wild. It wasn't your fault, Carol added. Reassuring me, Petra kissed my temple. I told you, babe. Carol walked towards her purse. There's only one thing. What? I asked. Veering from polite host to wicked competitor, Carol confronted me. One of us is the werewolf. A deathly quiet overtook the room. The entire house. No one said a word. Not a sliver of a smirk on any of their attractive faces. I don't know whether to laugh or cringe or, hell, even shiver. I looked over at Patrick. I, I don't understand. What the fuck? I, it's cool, Patrick replied. She's serious. Through the confusion, I couldn't respond couldn't do anything except just stand there. I did a little investigating, Carol said. She reached into her purse. None of us had an alibi for that night. I stepped towards her. But how do you know someone's the werewolf? The sight of Carol pulling out a pistol made me stop dead in my tracks. The weapon was old, but in mint condition. A real Colt 45 revolver. One fully capable of taking out all seven of us. Oh shit, I yelled. No one else looked surprised. They didn't even flinch. And deep in my unsettled gut, I realized they expected the gun. You're fine, Ashley, Carol said in a cool voice. She placed the gun right next to her purse. There's already silver bullets in it. So what? I struggled to say through the shivers. You're just gonna shoot whoever changes? Carol's voice took on a new layer of intensity. A southern bell gone mad. Exactly, she said. I scanned the scene for help, but like a morbid Greek chorus. Everyone wore the same somber expressions. Even Patrick. His green eyes now looked darker, hazier, as if the party's sudden shift had subdued his soul. But this is crazy, I said. Supportive. Patrick grabbed my hand. You'll be safe, babe. Unless she's the werewolf, Becky blurted out with glee. I wanted to call her an ugly bitch, but I didn't. Not when everyone kept staring at me. Patrick glared at Becky. That could be any one of us. Annoyed, Becky pointed at me. Well, she's the one who survived. I put my money on her. And what if it's you, huh? Patrick yelled. What if you killed her family? His burst of a response silenced Becky, but it didn't stop those harsh stares stuck on us. Look, let's just calm down, Carol said. She strolled up next to Roy. 
We'll just wait and see. She looked towards the windows. Even with the blinds blackening the darkness, I could tell nighttime was upon us. I could feel it. Once the full moon's at its peak, we'll open the blinds. Carol continued. She confronted me. Then we'll see the werewolf, Ashley. Just like you did. Trembling, I backed away. No, we we need to go. Patrick held me there. Patrick, I said. He looked into my eyes. You need to see, Ashley. I struggled to pull away, but had no chance at escaping his staunch grip. Let me go. Ashley, please. His emerald eyes begging me to stay. They made me a prisoner to the party. You need the closure, Patrick told me in a gentle tone. You can't keep running away. I looked at everyone else. Carol's click was cooler than ever, each and every one of them showing no weakness, no fear. Tonight, everyone will believe you, Ash, Patrick said. You don't have to be afraid. I looked back at him. They'll believe you, he said, just like I do. Carol clapped, grabbing everyone's attention. All right, I think it's time. Will you do the honors, Becky? Staying close to Patrick, I watched Becky step towards the first window. A dread rather than anticipation built up inside me. Roy grabbed a hold of Carol's gun. Wait, do we have to do it right now? He said, unease piercing through the confidence. Annoyed, Carol pulled away from him. Uh, yeah. With subtle panic, Roy snatched Becky's arm. Hey, just wait a fucking second. Frank gave him a weird look. Dude, what's wrong? Like a defensive animal, Roy staggered back towards the hallway. A defiant glare overtook his handsome face. Shit, nothing, alright? I just think we should wait until later. Carol watched him with nothing but sheer suspicion. Why? The full moon's already out, dumbass. God damn it, Carol. Roy shouted. Just fucking listen to me. Scoffing, Carol pushed Becky over towards the window. Nah, fuck that. I watched Becky stop in front of the window. Clear unease made her hesitate, and I couldn't blame her. Look, I just want us to be safe, Roy said to Carol, his voice featuring more rage than concern. I felt Patrick wrap his arm around me. What are you so afraid of, Roy? Patrick hurled at him. Startled, everyone looked at my boyfriend. Shocked to hear him challenge one of the Stanwick's prized jocks. Roy growled. Hey, you and your creepy-ass girlfriend can shut the fuck up. Jean pushed Frank over towards Roy. I don't need y'all creeps accusing me of shit, Roy continued. My tower of anxiety grew even higher. Hey, leave her alone, asshole, Patrick yelled at Roy. Trying to play peacemaker, Frank grabbed Roy's arm. Dude, chill. Roy broke away from him. Nah, man. Fuck that. He went for the gun. I ain't doing this shit. Concerned, Carol rushed towards him. Roy. Roy's glare latched on me. Especially with that crazy bitch. Motherfucker. Patrick yelled. He lunged at Roy, but I held him back. All the while, the anger boiled up inside of me. But no matter what, I couldn't unleash it. I couldn't let my inner beast out. Rather than exposing the fury within, I could only stay silent in Patrick's arms. 
right before Roy grabbed the gun. Carol snatched his wrist. What the hell is wrong with you? She shouted. Amidst their struggle, I saw Jean shove Frank towards them once more. Stop, Carol, Roy yelled. Like a guard restraining an asylum inmate, Frank ambushed Roy, grabbing both his arms. Stop, man, Frank pleaded. Carol glared at Becky. Becky hadn't moved this whole time, too scared to raise the blinds. Open the blinds, Carol demanded. Carol's voice forced Becky out of her fearful state. Okay, she cried. With a trembling hand, Becky reached towards the lift cord. Nervously, I looked at Patrick, but his stoic calmness failed to soothe me. No, Roy screamed at Becky. Frank struggled to hold him in place. God damn it, Roy. Be careful, the concerned Jean shouted at Frank. Becky grabbed the cord. With a scratchy snarl, Roy shoved Frank across the room. Frank, Jean cried. Startled, Becky collapsed back against the wall, a scared mess who damn sure wasn't going to open those blinds now. In a terrifying display of strength, Roy turned and bolted for the hallway, his movements so manic, his howls murky and unsettling. My stomach sank to the floor. The noises hearkened me back to the past trauma, back to the werewolf's wail, back to my family's tortured screams. What the fuck? Carol yelled. Jean helped Frank off the ground. Oh God, are you okay? She said concerned. Then Roy's animalistic cries rang through the house. Nothing but his howls and snarls hit us on a horrifying loop. Acting on simultaneous courage and stupidity, Frank snatched the gun. Jean reached towards him. Frank! Just stay here, Frank said. He ran towards the hallway, straight towards another harrowing howl. What the hell are you doing? Carol cried after him. Within seconds, Frank had disappeared into the upper-class jungle, the snarling in Frank's frantic footsteps all we could hear. Frank! Jean yelled. She stepped towards the hallway. Carol restrained her. No, don't. Frank, come back! Jean shouted. Like a timid soldier, I did my best to stagger off towards the window, further away from those sounds. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Becky slouched to the ground. She covered her ears in a pathetic attempt to quash those nocturnal howls. Patrick looked at me, worried. Ashley, a sudden scream surrounded us. A human scream. No, Frank, Jeanie yelled. Acting off adrenaline, she pushed Carol away and forward. She pushed Carol away and followed her boyfriend's cries. Carol pushed Becky off the ground. Carol's intense blue eyes zeroed in on me. Come on! Patrick grabbed a hold of my hand. Together we followed after two preps. Patrick and I lagged behind in this long, dark hallway. By now, Frank's screams had faded off into an unnerving silence. All I could hear was footsteps and the occasional guttural growl. Then a loud thud echoed towards us. I jumped upon hearing it, and I could feel Patrick do the same. Up ahead, I saw Carol drag Becky through an open door on the left. Come on, Ashley, I heard Carol shout. At the open doorway, I felt Patrick let go of me. Patrick, I cried. Turning, I caught a brief glimpse of his uneasy face. Babe, I started. Carol's groomed hand yanked me inside. I stumbled inside the study, 
A large desk sat in the center of the room, several antique bookshelves lined up against the wall, all of them crammed with hardbacks and more cherished photos of Carol Lane. A huge window overlooked Lake Douglas. The blinds were lifted, revealing a glorious full moon shining upon us. Its beams so bright, the remnants strayed inside the hallway. I stopped at the desk, right by Becky and Carol. Near the window, I saw Jean crying over a bloodied body. Frank was sprawled out like a red snow angel. Crimson ran all along his face and torn t-shirt. Frank, the victim of a most brutal attack. The revolver lay a few feet away, silver bullets and all. Oh God, Becky shouted. He's dead. Horrified, I turned towards the door in desperate search of Patrick. Carol snatched my arm in a dead grip. Ashley, look out! Like a cheesy horror sound effect, a howl roared to life behind me. One more befitting monster mash than an American werewolf in London. Whirling around, I saw a creature rise up behind the desk. Roy transformed, his face replaced by pointy ears, a long snout, spurts of thick black fur, and two hungry red eyes. Snarling, he lunged at me. I screamed and tumbled to the ground, right by Frank's dead body. Another corny howl pierced my ears. Scared shitless, I reached for the gun, until I got a closer look at this teenage lycanthrope. Roy still had his flawless name-brand t-shirt and jeans, his muscular arms and legs completely unscathed by excessive hair. Roy's howls shifted from campy spookiness to howling laughter. Then more laughter surrounded me, and I saw now everyone was chuckling and pointing at me. Carol, Jean, Becky, even Frank sat up, the fake blood unable to drown out his mean-spirited cackle. Oh shit, we got her, Jean cried out. Like an invisible force, the heavy laughter combed with the mask's narrow eyes. The heavy laughter, combined with the mask's narrow eye sockets, made Roy stagger against the desk. Hell yeah, he said. That bitch got scared quick. I sat there on the verge of tears, my self-conscious soul on the verge of suicide. The hurt sank into my flesh like sharp hooks. I couldn't say anything. Carol pulled Jean off the ground, Frank too dominated by drunken amusement, to even stand on his own. Well, Carol began, trying to control her sadistic laughter. She pointed over to Roy. There's your werewolf, Ashley. Leaving his mask on, Roy raised his arms and lumbered towards me, his act about as creepy as an intoxicated straggler leaving a Halloween party. His howl is now more obnoxious than ever. I cringed at the silly sight. The girl who cried wolf, Jean quipped. Indeed. Carol replied. Chuckling, Becky walked over towards the window, a closer glance at the full moon. You got her good, she said to an audience of none. Still reeled from the scare, I crawled back towards the door. I realized teardrops were sliding down my face, and like always, I couldn't fight back. I really was going to weep like a scared child in front of the cool kids. The gang's giggling only grew louder. A laugh track well off the rails. 
live studio audience from my pitiful state. With obnoxious glory, Carol pointed right at me. Hey y'all, she just saw another wolf. Looks like it. Frank quipped. A booming snarl ended their laughter real quick. Now fear latched into all of them. Outright terror. Everyone watched the beast lunge into the study. A muscular werewolf walking on its furry hind legs. The creature's brown fur was brisk and spiky, its ears long and slender, just like the monster's intimidating snout. In the room, the werewolf flashed as a smile of razor-sharp teeth, its eyes redder than the fake blood scattered across Frank's body. Only tattered clothes were stuck to the werewolf's army of fur, and like huge retractable blades, eager claws extended out of its hands. I recognized those hipster clothes, and even from here, I could tell the creature was exactly my height. Panicked, Roy grabbed Carol. Oh, fuck. His muffled voice yelled through the mask. Before Carol could scream, one quick swipe from the creature declared a double decapitation. Carol and Roy's heads tumbled to the ground. Their severed necks erupted like volcanoes of dark red gore. Roy's dying eyes looked at me. Sticky blood covered the mask's cheap fur. The plastic ears now crooked and bent, his mask a pathetic counterparts to the real thing standing before us. I watched the other teens scream in horror, and for once, I was glad my self-doubt kept me from taking action, especially since it kept me from helping these assholes. Right now, I was one entertained audience. There was Frank reaching for his Colt 45. Only the werewolf's bare foot splattered Frank's head into a busted jack-o'-lantern of gooey flesh. Screaming, Jean and Becky rushed towards the door. The werewolf's bellowing snarl ushered them into a frenzied panic. Both girls kept stumbling into each other, their attempt at escaping so sloppy. Get out of my way, bitch, Jean yelled. She pushed Becky back, straight into the clutches of the creature. Becky cried out, her squeaky screams silenced once the werewolf jammed its paw straight down her throat. Blood sprayed across the monster's hungry flesh. It retrieved its paw in a quick flourish, yanking out all sorts of intestines. A goodie bag of Becky's organs. Becky's corpse hit the floor, her mouth agape in a huge oval, a wide enough opening for a red river to come rushing out. Right when Jean reached the open door, the werewolf snagged her back in, its tight grip sunk straight into her fragile flesh. No, she cried. The monster turned her around. A brief taut of deep breaths and sloppy saliva hit Jen's face. She cringed in helpless fear. She knew she was fucked. And all she could do was scream and scream again. The werewolf went to turn on her vulnerable face. A machine of chomping ensued the monster's mouth quicker and messier than a blender. Jean's screams died, even as remnants of her mouth kept twitching. Her flesh and all-you-can-eat buffet devoured in mere seconds. As the werewolf finished, literally defacing my classmates, I reached out and grabbed the gun. I staggered to my feet. Through the tears, my gaze strayed towards the window. The lift cord for the blinds was well in reach. Victorious, the monster threw down Jean's body, 
she landed with a splat near all the others. Now all their blood intertwined. The five bodies laid side by side in a prep cemetery. I stared at the wolf. Deep down, I knew I'd never seen it before. I knew I'd never seen it before. This wasn't the monster that killed my family, or at least I didn't think it was. My trembling hands did its damnedest to hold a gun in a tight grip. Patrick! I yelled out, my tone strong and steady for once. Drawn to my voice, the creature confronted me. Even behind the terrifying exterior, I knew Patrick recognized me. His eyes always gave away his emotions, even when they were red instead of green. Breathing heavy, Patrick stepped towards me, his ominous footsteps splashing through multiple red puddles. I pointed the gun right at him, but who was I kidding? Patrick didn't even flinch, much less slow down. He knew I couldn't pull the trigger. I took a deep breath and wiped away my tears. Reaching out, I pulled the cord. Like a dropped curtain, the blinds whisked straight down. The full moon was blanketed. Through the darkness, I heard Patrick howl in pain, heard his anguished cries. Terrified by the noises, I stumbled towards the desk. I struggled before finally turning on a lamp. There was Patrick, cowering a few feet away, weakened yet alive and in human form. Exhausted by the transformation, Patrick looked at me with those green eyes. Somehow, he looked more attractive, more radiant. I guess his revealing ripped clothes may have helped. Patrick! I yelled in excitement. I dropped the gun and rushed towards him. A weak smile crossed his lips. I hugged him close and embraced for the ages. Oh my god, I'm glad you're okay. Amused, Patrick looked at me. You haven't hugged me like this in a long time. I blushed, then struggled to tell him what needed to be told. Look, I need to tell you. Still smiling, Patrick traced his smooth hand along my face. I already know. Shockwaves rushed through me. What? I guess we, uh, we both have our little secrets. Patrick's grin remained. Yet it wasn't taunting or vile, but comforting. Supportive like he'd always been. I don't know, I finally said. I haven't told anyone. And you don't need to, Patrick responded. He stroked my hair. I know you killed them. I know you did it, Ash. And he was right. The whole town was right. The ticking teenage time bomb that was Ashley Nielsen had finally exploded. A Jody Arias meltdown led to me massacring my entire family. Sure, I tried to suppress those painful memories, and in some ways, maybe my werewolf story was true. Maybe Patrick had given me a helping hand that night. But amidst the immense anger, I couldn't remember much, honestly. All I did was give Patrick a knowing smile. His secret was safe with me, and mine with him. You don't have to tell me anything. A rebellious twinkle in those emerald eyes. I know what it's like to get frustrated. To fight back. Like what? I quipped. Patrick chuckled. Hey, I did it for you. 
He motioned towards the bodies surrounding us like scattered rice and bouquets of flowers at a wedding. I knew what they were going to do. He caressed my face, his mere touch melting my heart. I couldn't let them hurt you, Ash. You know I couldn't. No one had ever stuck up for me like that. Not even myself. And now I had a werewolf on my side. I struggled with the same issues. Patrick went on. I know. Patrick's eyes pierced into mine. And I know what can help. Reflective, I looked back towards the big window, where the full moon awaited us. If you just let me have one bite, you'll be like me, he said. You'll be confident. Shushing him, I put a finger to Patrick's lips, flashed to my own sly smile. You don't have to say anything else. In that moment, I knew I'd found my werewolf soulmate, and now I wanted to join. After all, I always had a hard time saying no, so I stopped now. My name is Boston Murphy, and I kill werewolves for the US government. I didn't join the army to get medals or to have a statue in my honor. I joined it to simply get away from my family. My father's okay, but his new wife is the most evil person you could have the misfortune of meeting. She used to constantly berate me, calling me less than dirt and a waste of space. I tried telling dad, but he didn't believe it, or chose not to believe it. I joined the army when I was 17. It was the only way to get away from the verbal abuse. Stepmom couldn't be happier that I was finally out of her house, but Dad was crushed. He understood why I chose to do it, but he still felt like it was his fault. I was shipping out today, and he gave me an emotional send-off. It was time to start my own life. I arrived at Fort Bronson by Thursday. I still remember having goosebumps arriving. This was it. I was really doing this. No turning back now. Fort Bronson was a massive base, expanding over 60 acres. The bus stopped, and drill instructor Haymeyer walked on board, gracing us with his hospitality. Attention, you piss cans. I'm Instructor Haymeyer. I'll be your friend for the next 18 weeks. Now get your sorry asses off my bus and get checked in. Do I make myself clear? Sir, yes sir, we all shouted in unison. We got our bags and got off the bus. Since I was sitting in the very back, I was the last one to leave. Haymeyer looked at me and stopped me. What's your name, cadet? He asked. Uh, B Boston Murphy, sir, I replied nervously. He looked me up and down, muttering to himself. You're not going with them. You're going to the special assignment ward, Haymeyer said. I haven't been here more than ten minutes and I'm already getting a special assignment. Where is that, sir? I asked. In your room next to the mess hall, in the north building. Now get the hell off my bus, Haymeyer replied. I quickly got my bags and left. The north building was the farthest building on the base, away from everyone else. The sun was furious that day and I was sweating hard, yet I walked at a brisk pace. All I knew was that it could be the first test. I entered the building, the air conditioning inside greeting me like an old friend, 
The place was a maze of stairs and hallways. I had to use my map. The mess hall was located on the second hallway. I climbed the stairs, carrying my luggage with me. This building seemed less maintained than the other buildings, but who am I to judge? As I approached the mess hall, I turned to the door to the left. It looked like a janitor's closet. It had a faded special assignments sticker on it. I opened it, and a rush of old, musty air ambushed my nose. Once inside, I walked down a long hallway. There was no paint on the walls. It was gray. The fluorescent lights shined bitterly. Through a pair of double doors, I entered a waiting room. The place was empty. Only a receptionist and another cadet populated the place. I went to the receptionist. Name, place, she said. Boston Murphy, I replied. She checked her notes, sighing. I don't see you in my notes. You must be new. Uh, yeah. Instructor Haymeyer sent me here, I said, sweating. She dialed a number on her phone, motioning me to take a seat. I did what she asked. The other cadet in the room was a skinhead called James. You're new here too, huh? He asked. Yeah, man, I replied. Me too. I was so ready to kick some jihadi ass, but I'm here instead. You feel me? He asked. Yeah, I lied. The truth was that I didn't join to kill. I was hoping to be a medic or something. My name's James. What's yours? He asked. Boston, I replied. You seem cool, Boston. Personally, I hope that was a mistake. I want to hit the range and make those bastards pay for 9-11, James said. Cadet James Fillmore, the receptionist said. I guess that's my cue. See you, brother, James said, patting my back. I waited to be called in, watching videos on my phone, the receptionist on the phone looking at me every so often, whispering. After what seemed like centuries, I was finally called up. The receptionist told me to go through the double doors and into the first door on the right. I walked through, luggage in hand. The hallway I walked in was small and dirty. The door on the right said Lycanthropy Extermination with Greg Romero. Lycanthropy? Like as in werewolves? This had to be a joke. Surely Haymeyer played a prank on me, attesting how gullible new recruits are. I looked further down the hall. It only got weirder from there. Windigo Extermination from Susan Fletcher. Thunderbird Extermination with Otto Haymeyer. Zombie extermination with Tony Stevenson. I had half a mind to walk out and confront Haymire, but something told me that he didn't appreciate being called a liar. Despite my doubts, I walked in. Inside, it looked like a regular classroom, having desks and such. James was sitting in back while I sat near the front. Hey, Boston. Small world, am I right? He asked. I suppose, I replied. I sat down, and a man started speaking. Welcome, cadets. I'm Greg Romero, and for the next 18 weeks I'll teach you how to dispatch a lycanthrope, Mr. Romero said. James raised his hand. Aren't werewolves fake, though? He asked. I wish they were fake, but no, they're not. Lycanthropy poses a serious threat to livestock and humanity as a whole. Mr. Romero replied. I raised my hand. Uh, where's the rest of the class? I asked. Romero sighed. 
We're not as popular as Wendigo extermination, but hopefully we'll receive more recruits next year. Romero showed a photo of a mutilated woman being eaten alive by a werewolf. I gagged. We have thankless jobs, gentlemen. Only two people know we exist, and that's the two of you. Who wants to kill a wolf? Romero asked. We both shouted in unison. For the next 18 weeks, I was taught how to kill a wolf. Silver does kill one, but instead of a crossbow, I got a mini-14 with silver bullets. I was trained how to track wolves and how to survive in the wild. It was hard at first, but I got the hang of it. On graduation day, I was so happy. James and I got drunk at his place. At first, I didn't like James, but during training, we became friends. I was deployed to Arizona, of all places. The assignment was simple. An elderly lycanthrope was spotted in the area, and I had to dispatch him. I had to cut off its right hand as proof and return it to my bosses. I was getting paid $100,000 for this. Since I was new, this assignment was sort of a test to see if I had what it takes. I arrived at Ground Zero, a campsite. The brass in Washington were nice enough to close its surrounding area so nobody could get hurt. I looked for clues, only to find a patch of hair. It smelled like piss, meaning that a wolf was nearby. The hair led deep into the brush, into the desert. The sun was angry that day. It cooked my skin under all my armor. It led to an abandoned farmhouse, but any sign of a farm was dried up a long time ago. I crept to a window, rifle in hand. I peeked, and not only did I see the wolf, but there were also two little wolves, seemingly surrounding him. Come on, Grandpa. Let's go play, one of the little ones said, nibbling on the big one's ear. In a while, I have to rest. He replied. My hands were shaking, sweat dripped from my brow. I had to do this. I was getting paid to. I took a deep breath and then I kicked the door open. I opened fire, shooting the big one in the chest four times, sending him backwards. The kids looked on in horror, screaming and crying. I brought out my axe and hacked off his right hand. I placed it in my bag and the puppy started crying. Shut your fucking mouth, I yelled, pointing my rifle at them. They only screamed louder. I panicked. I didn't want to fail my first mission. I did what I had to do. I shot the puppies, hitting them both in the head. I hacked off their right hands, putting them in my bag. Once the adrenaline died, I threw up. What's done is done. I can't fix it. I had $300,000 in my bag, softening the blow. I returned to my boss and gave them the hands. They were surprised, to say the least. Damn. Not only did you take out that old fuck, but you popped his grandkids, too. You're the best exterminator we've ever had, but no mercy. I'm gonna call you Isenur from now on, okay? My boss said, signing me a check. It was from the United States Treasury. $300,000. I placed the money in my bank account when I got home, and before I left, my boss said, your new assignment is to dispatch wolf pups spotted in Alaska, but I don't think that'll be a problem for you, Isenerve. He winked. It made me sick. 
I reloaded my silver ammo, bought some beef jerky, and flew to Alaska. A logger found a wolf pup hanging out around the woods near his house and locked it in his shed. I told him to stay back in case I got aggressive. I went in, closing the door behind me. Huddled in the corner, I saw four wolf pups. They looked scared. I wasn't proud of what happened next. I fired, and I took their hands. I returned to my boss and turned in the hands. He gave me 400,000 this time. I nerve you're making your country safer every time you go out. You're a hero, son, he said. I don't feel like a hero, sir, I replied. Just know this. They're monsters. They don't know right from wrong. All they know is killing. Take two months off, then come back, okay? He said, sending me off. That's all the time I have today. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. It all started four days ago. My job had just let me go because I was too slow at putting peppers on a freaking conveyor belt. So it was back to the hell that was job searching. Three applications a day, keeping an eye out for responses, and in general, just hanging with my parents that I could tolerate some days better than others. I honestly don't know what made me think of applying for that specific gas station. But don't get me wrong, I really do like the place, and I don't blame it for what happened. So I won't use the real name in this story. Let's call it Swift Pit instead. The gas station was family-owned. Let's call them the Laika family. That has a nice ring to it. Miss Laika was a kind, short lady with gray hair and blue eyes, and a very gentle voice. Thirteen dollars an hour sure felt like one hell of a deal for just running the register, filling the hot food section and keeping the shelves stocked. And the other workers were nice, which was more than I could have said for my last job. I don't think I need to describe what it looked like to you, because it's pretty much the same as any other gas station. There were four pumps, and the store itself was pretty small, but not so small it felt claustrophobic. During the day, they kept the hot food area well stocked, but during the night, we kept only the bare minimum there, replacing it only when the initial ones were taken. The evenings were so slow, they'd only put one person in the station, though the boss lived perhaps ten minutes away and would be able to show up pretty quickly if I gave her a call. Not sure how the days went, though since they were still in business, I've got to assume quite a bit busier. I heard that they were toying with closing during the night to help save on expenses. It was my first night by myself. Nothing too eventful happened for the first few hours. I could have counted the number of customers that actually entered the station so far on one hand. One with a short old woman with a loud set of pipes. One was a short old woman with a loud set of pipes. Another was a man who really shouldn't have been driving from how badly he reeked of alcohol. There might have been a few more customers. It's a little fuzzy now. I spent a lot of time just standing at the register and staring out the window. I always grew up near cities, where you could only see the brightest stars. It really wasn't until I got this job, a few minutes away from the nearest city, that I really got to see the night sky in all of its glory. That night was no exception. The full moon was just... breathtaking. I could have stood there and watched the stars for hours. 
It was around one o'clock when I heard the gunshot, and it was close, really close. The entire night went into a panic. I heard startled birds flying for safety, watching a single deer sprint past the building. Then it was quiet, the night itself patiently waiting for an explanation, but I didn't have one. There was a huge forest nearby, sure. Perhaps a hunter? I don't know the first thing about hunting. Uh, maybe someone was allowed to hunt on this property. I was straining my ears when there was a loud clunk by the door. Nothing could have prepared me for what I saw. It was an adult wolf, who had one paw lightly stuck in the handle to pull it open. All it took was the wolf making a little jump backwards, and the door swung open. And for just a moment, I realized the wolf had gained entry, and I was very possibly in danger. The wolf threw something into the store and took off into the night, all within the span of a few seconds. It was all so fast. But it was what the wolf had just flung into the building that really had me shocked. It was a small bundle of grey fur, looking at me with big brown eyes. I couldn't understand what I had just witnessed. Had an adult wolf just thrown its baby into the gas station and bail? That didn't make any sense. The little wolf looked outside, then hobbled its way towards me without a second thought. I was still thinking about it when someone stormed into view. They were wearing a huge trench coat, a very heavy set of jeans, some steel-toed boots, and a thick pair of gloves, along with a heavy-looking hat. But what really had me scared was the huge gun the man was holding. It was some sort of rifle. And even without knowing anything about guns, I recognized it as a high-caliber gun. The man was walking towards the entrance to the gas station, and while I couldn't see his eyes, I got the feeling he was looking right at me. By the time he got to the entrance, the young pup was out of sight, and the man's attention was grabbed when the adult wolf howled somewhere off in the distance. The man immediately turned and ran towards the sound, his gun at the ready. I didn't know what to think about the whole situation. I've heard of plenty of people hunting deer, but I didn't even know if it was legal for people to hunt wolves. I also didn't know how smart wolves were. But here was a parent wolf not only playing decoy to protect its cub, it even knew how to work the gas station's pull door with no trouble whatsoever. I've had some dogs that figured out that kind of stuff, sure, but that was only after several hundred attempts. And if the wolf was that crafty, I got the feeling the man stood no chance of killing it. My thoughts turned to the cub when I felt it nuzzling against my feet. It only took one look down before I knelt down and began petting it. I've always liked dogs and kids, so a two-in-one package combo was an absolute delight. It took me a second to remember that it was a wild wolf cub. This whole situation was just so weird. The poor thing was shaking like a leaf. Somewhere in the back of my mind I was wary. Even a fully tamed dog is likely to lash out at a person if it is approached when scared, but that part of my mind wasn't the one in control, as I gently clutched the cub close to my chest. There, there. It's okay. I won't let the mean hunter hurt you. The wolf looked up at my face, then, to my delight, snuggled close to my chest. Good. There was nothing to worry about. But it was strange. 
As far as I know, most wild animals are scared to be around people. This pup was scared, sure, but had no problem whatsoever with me. Did it realize I wanted to help it? I, I don't know. Would that be a bit too smart for a wolf cub? It didn't take long before I realized I had to call someone. Even if the poor cub was someone's pet, that meant that someone was missing their pets and probably looking for it. The only person who lived close enough that it even seemed plausible would be the manager. I hated the idea of waking her up at 1am, but I really wasn't sure what to do about the situation. The phone rang three times before someone picked up. Unlike the gentle voice I was expecting to come out from the phone, I heard a gruff and decadently male voice grumble its way through the receiver. Yeah. Uh, uh, hi, I'm looking for Miss Laika. There's something odd going on at the gas station, and... My wife's sleeping right now, asshole. I'm gonna have to do. Well, this was off to a great start. I've never been the best at conversing with people, and I honestly hadn't realized she was married. Okay, okay. I, I heard a gunshot nearby. It took the man the longest time to reply, and when he did, I was startled at how nervous he sounded. All of that annoyance was gone, replaced with genuine fear in his voice. Uh, is, is that so? Are you in danger? Uh, not that I know of yet. I did see some weirdo in a trench coat carrying a rifle walking around outside. But they left after hearing a wolf howl. Shit, you, uh, didn't happen to see if there was a wolf with a cub nearby, did you? Well, that was suspiciously specific. I'm not stupid, and that was setting off red flags in my head. It took nearly ten seconds before I decided the only rational answer was that the Laika family owned a few tame wolves. I, uh, yes, actually. The wolf kind of uh, threw the cub into the gas station. I'm currently holding the cub right now. Okay. I'm going to... Actually, first I'm going to question why the hell you'd pick up a wild wolf cub. You do know mother wolves aren't very forgiving if they see you playing with their kids, right? That made me blush. He wasn't wrong, of course. If I was a normal person, maybe I would have thought through it a little bit harder. I... Uh, I like dogs. A lot. Fair enough. Anyways, I've heard about this nutcase on the news recently. Apparently it comes out every full moon starts shooting at any wolves he sees. I'm gonna grab my gun and meet you at the gas station. Just in case he decides to do something. As for the cub, well, you seem to have that under control right now. Also, this may be a strange thing to ask, but could you please not call the police? I mean... If the situation gets really bad, then go right ahead. But so long as it's just weird like this... I agreed with him, my throat becoming very dry. More red flags were going off. He knew more than what he was letting on. I could sense it. This whole situation screamed trouble. As I hung up the phone, I looked at the clock. 1.15. Now, before I continue... I want it on the record that I'm not always the best when it comes to putting things together. But it doesn't take a fucking genius to figure out the connection between wolves and the full moon. Of course, I thought werewolf at some point during this conversation. It would definitely explain some nut marching around the woods, killing every wolf he came across. 
At the time, I thought this gunman was probably just some deluded psycho who believed in fairy tales a little too much. As I waited for Mr. Laika to appear, I couldn't stop the thoughts gnawing away in my brain. Why on earth had the man asked about a wolf and her cub? My more uh, creative side that likes to ignore reality played with the thought that perhaps this mother wolf and child were in fact not only werewolves, but family members to Mr. Laika. I've always had an overactive imagination, and it's gotten me in trouble more than once. And tonight, faced with a mystery that the rational side of my brain had no answer to, the creative side was all too willing to spin a fantastical story of lies, murder, and love. Though, of course, the rational side was keeping it in check. The fantasies I was cooking up were nothing more than fantasies. Werewolves were not real. The entire time my brain was uh, thinking this up, I was playing with the cup. For the first few minutes, I just stood there and petted the cup. But then we got bored of that, and I decided to see if it could play fetch with a nearby pencil. The answer, to my delight, was yes. Somewhere in the middle of this, I started calling the cub Togo, which he seemed to love. Belly rubs were one of his favorite things, so I started rewarding him with a belly rub each time he brought back the pencil. It felt like forever before my mind noticed that there was something heading our way. I could hear it. Some soft, thumping sound. It made me feel uneasy, and I quickly had the cub sit at my feet while I stood up at the register, the cub well hidden from the doorway. It only took a few seconds before I saw the man wearing a trench coat walk into view. The man grunted as he took a step into the store, his large boots producing an audible thump with every step. His eyes checked out the right side of the store, then the left, before deciding it was safe to walk inside. In his left hand was a gun. Sorry to disturb you, lad. There was no sincerity in his voice, but it was deep, perhaps the deepest sounding voice I'd ever heard. And as he walked in the store, I had the pleasure of realizing the man was taller than me, which, considering I'm 6'3", is actually quite the feat. It wasn't just a little bit, either. He could have been seven feet tall. It would have been a lot more intimidating if he didn't look like some secret agent from a kid's cartoon attempting to blend in with society. But the gun was very real, and it was what I was mostly afraid of. Have you seen a wolf come by here lately? Rather tall, gray fur, blue eyes. I honestly told him no. I didn't get a good look at the adult wolf that came by earlier, and the cub had brown eyes. But the man gave another low grunt as he began sauntering his way over to me, his boots thumping the entire way. Well, what about Tiny Wolf? Gray fur and brown eyes. I told him no, but even I knew full well it was pointless. I couldn't even maintain eye contact. His boots were getting on my nerves. I'm easily distracted by sound, and the thumping kept messing with my head. Really? He was heading my way, a crooked smile on his face as he lightly lifted up his gun. I'm not in the mood for games, kid. My throat was dry as the desert as I asked him why he wanted to know. The moon's full and there are wolves about. Do I need to spell it out for you? Are you trying to tell me they're werewolves? This man congratulated me on figuring it out his voice soaked in sarcasm. 
I could feel Togo shivering against my feet, doing his best to stay out of the sight of this man. And in that instant, I felt a rush of paternal instincts kicking in. He was not getting Togo, no matter what he thought. Werewolves don't exist, sir. The thumping stopped, because he was now on the other side of the counter, and his eyes, a deep shade of blue, were trying to bore a hole right through my skull. I don't have time to explain the situation to you, so let's just settle with yes they are. Give me one reason to believe you. He lifted his gun slightly with a stone-cold frown on his face. He didn't aim it at me or anything, but the threat was clear. It was quite the experience. I've never felt a chill down my spine quite like that before. He really was crazy, and he was dead serious. Werewolves do exist. I've seen what they can do, what they are. They cause nothing but pain and misery. Now tell me where the cub is. I didn't want to hand any living thing to this psychopath. The little cub was huddled around my feet, shivering so badly that it almost felt like it was having a seizure. But at the same time, well, he was pretty much telling me he'd shoot me if I didn't tell him. And if he did, Togo would be easy pickings. There was a moment, a truly horrible moment, where I honestly believed there was no other choice. I was going to have to reach down, pick up the innocent pup, and place it within this monster's hands. Then reality struck me. Mr. and Miss Lyca lived only ten minutes away, and I quickly glanced at the clock, which told me I'd made that call about twelve minutes ago. Help was only a few minutes away, maybe even just a few seconds away. If I could just stall for time... He wouldn't try anything if there was something with equal firepower on the scene, right? What will you do? Kill it? Not immediately, no. You see, his mother has proven to be quite the difficult catch. Not letting me get a clear shot. Good, good, he's talking. I just need to keep him talking. Uh, okay. He gives a very irritated grunt as he shakes his head. God, are you really that retarded? I'm going to use it as bait. Retarded? Oh, he just struck a nerve. But it also told me just how agitated he was. Did he know I was stalling for time? Why the hell did I think this was a good idea a few seconds ago? Uh, let's say that werewolves exist. How do you know these two are werewolves? Let's put it this way. Wolves are smart. But they're not that smart. The mother wolf realized I was tracking her down after I failed to ambush her. What did she do? She ran out to the gas station. And a few minutes later I realized she must have brought her pup inside. She then tried to lead me away from the gas station. That's quite a bit of thought for a normal wolf. Okay. I had to give him that point. But the more I thought about it, the more this man's plan made me scared of him. He wanted to use a child to lure their mother into a trap, and then kill the child. It was disgusting. Uh, did you see the mother doing something wrong? I beg your pardon. Uh, well, I'm assuming you have a reason you want to kill her. She's a werewolf. That was it. He made no other attempt to justify murdering what he fully believed was a sentient being. 
and he said it with such conviction, as if I was out of my mind to even think he needed more of a reason than that. It made my skin crawl. This guy was well on his way to becoming a serial killer, and if I kept attempting to stall him, I was starting to think I would become his first genuinely sentient victim. There was movement in my peripheral. A quick glance outside showed me that my salvation was just pulling into the parking lot. I'd never been so happy to see a beat-up little Subaru. When I looked back at the man, I realized I had made a horrible mistake. He was following my gaze, and the instant he saw the car outside, his mouth curled up into a nasty sneer. You little shit. He raised the gun and aimed it at my chest. There was no hesitation. The sound was deafening. Pain tore a path through my chest. I staggered backwards while placing a shaking hand to my chest and held my hand up to find it covered in blood. He had actually shot me. I mean, it's one thing to threaten to shoot someone. It's quite another to actually do it. I should have fucking known. It felt like a dream as I looked up at him to find him aiming the rifle at the doorway. Standing there was a burly man wielding a gun of his own, aiming it directly at the man in the trench coat. My breaths were slow and ragged, and I couldn't stop coughing. A few times I started coughing up blood. Mr. Laika and the man just stood there for the longest time, guns aimed at each other. At some point I fell to the ground. I don't think it had anything to do with the hole in my chest. I think it was just the shock of the entire situation. They started shouting at each other. I only needed to hear the first few sentences to realize they knew each other personally, and they despised each other. I tuned them out while reaching into my pocket and grabbing out my phone. It took only a few seconds to punch in the number and bring it to my ears. To my surprise, it hardly began the first ring before they picked it up. The welcome sound of a friendly voice came through. 911, what's your mer- The sound was deafening. I heard the man's boots thundering towards the nearest aisle as all hell broke loose. Somewhere in my mind, I finally realized this was really happening. A gunfight was going on, right in front of me. I was shaking violently now, one hand clutching at the wound as I brought my knees to my chest and began whispering into the phone. I'm at the swift pit at the gas station. I was just shot. I couldn't hear her response over the gunfire, just the urgency in her voice. The guns sounded really different with the man's making a loud bang and Mr. Laika's gun making a strange rat-a-tat sound, like it was firing three rounds at a time. Then it stopped. What followed was five minutes of silence, no one willing to make a single move. I was whispering to the operator, telling her everything I knew about the situation in a desperate hope that she'd have an answer as to what I should do. At some point, I took off my shirt and tightly wrapped it around my chest in an attempt to slow the bleeding and poor Togo was curled up next to me, crying silently as the world itself stood still. My heart stopped as I heard a body fall to the floor. The man's gun fired last, not Mr. Lycus. I tried to rationalize it. Maybe it was a dead man's trigger finger. Oh no. Bad thumping sound effect. He was... He was heading my way. The young cub began whimpering. There was no point in trying to protect him anymore. I was about to die, and Togo was going to die right after. Time seemed to slow down as his boot came into view around the corner, landing with another loud thump. I looked up at him to see there were a few holes in his coat, but there was no blood. 
It took me a second to realize he was wearing a bulletproof vest underneath the trench coat. He had a nasty smile on his face as he rested the barrel of the gun right against my forehead. There was no hesitation, no guilt in his eyes. I could only watch, shaking my head pitifully and crying as I watched him pull the trigger. The smirk vanished off his face as he looked down at his gun with a raised eyebrow. The sounds couldn't have been more unexpected. The man's eyes opened wide in shock as he buckled at the knees, blood flowing freely from the three bullet holes in his forehead. His head slammed into the floor with a nasty thunk. I heard pounding footsteps as Mr. Laika ran into view, pointing his gun at the man's head. It was only ten seconds later, when it was clear the man was never going to get back up, that Mr. Laika turned around and looked at me. There was blood pouring out of a wound on his shoulder. But what really had me scared was the haunted look in his eyes as he got down to eye level with me, putting a hand on my shoulder. He looked me over and gave a huge, relieved sigh. I... I called 911. They're on the way. Good. Can you stand? It took a few attempts. My legs were shaking really badly, but I did ultimately stand. It took me a moment to realize Togo was standing in front of me, now nuzzling Mr. Laika's legs. He just reached down and picked Togo up, and gently touched his head to Togo's forehead. The front door opened... At first I thought it was the police, but to my surprise, I turned around to find the mother wolf now entering the gas station. She trotted up to us and waited for Mr. Laika to set down Togo before gently picking up her cub and looking at me. The instant that her eyes met mine, there was a connection. I don't think I can fully explain how I knew her thoughts, but I knew exactly what she was saying to me and I couldn't help the smile that came to my face as I scratched the back of her ear, even as the moment sent another wave of agony through my chest. You're welcome. She smiled before turning around. Red and blue lights were shining through the windows, sirens blaring through the quiet night. Before I could say anything more, the wolf sprinted for the back door, knocking it open and vanishing into the night with her baby. The next few hours were a blur. The police asked a lot of questions, of course, but I didn't say much. The ambulance wasn't far behind them, and they put some uh, endotracheal tube in my lung to help with my current breathing problems. The ambulance called the Laika family to inform them that Mr. Laika was injured, but they didn't pick up. My family was a different matter. You'd have thought that I really had died from how badly my mom was crying, screaming that I was never to work at a gas station ever again. The doctors performed surgery on me within half an hour of me getting to the hospital. The bullet had gone through my lung and had nearly managed to exit through my back. It took a few stitches to close it all, but all in all, I was assured my life wasn't in any danger due to the wound. I'm currently writing this from the hospital bed. This is the first day where I haven't had some damn reporter shoving a microphone down my throat, trying to get my opinion on the whole thing. Apparently the cameras in the station couldn't catch what was actually said. There was just footage of me playing with the wolf pup, then the man came in, and it all went to shit. I told them everything the man had said to me, how he was hunting werewolves, how he wanted to know where the cub was. Right now, the TV in my room is showering the headlines on the werewolf hunter as they've named my attacker. As of right now, he's a John Doe, 
He didn't have a phone or any form of identification on him. Not a single person is missing from town and not a single abandoned vehicle nearby. Police are awaiting news from a DNA test. But here's what really caught my attention. There are no stories of him from before that night. Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, the actual news, I couldn't find anything. And I've had days to search. The closest I got was a man who swore werewolves existed and had killed his wife for thinking she was one. But he was several states away and was predictably in prison. I hadn't told the police that Mr. Laika had warned me of this man, that he had heard stories of a man killing wolves during the full moon. As for the wolf and her pup, no one had an explanation for what happened. There were animal experts trying to figure out why a mother wolf would put her baby with a complete stranger, why the baby trusted me with no trouble, and why the mother simply took her child back without attempting to maul us. Some are accusing me of having illegally tamed the wolf, saying that it explained why I had refused to hand the pup over, even with my life on the line. But others are defending me saying that perhaps the wolf somehow realized I was protecting the child and pointing out that when the wolf opened the door, I was clearly alarmed until she left. In all honesty, I don't need an explanation. Miss Lyka had come and visited me since then, looking at me with her piercing blue eyes and apologizing for everything that happened, promising to give me an explanation that I don't really need. She brought her son, not more than a year or two old, with big brown eyes. I had asked her for the boy's name, and she told me it was Sam. Then the child spoke, and while his mother thought it was just baby noises, it brought a smile to my face. Togo. I dream about Robin almost every night. Together, we walk through the woods, tracking deer or elk. In the darkness, I can see her looking back at me and smiling. I remember that smile so clearly. I see her reaching out to take my hand, and I can't help myself but reach out. I can feel my fingers brushing against hers. I can see her gentle smile as her eyes meet mine, and then I hear it. The crack of a distant gunshot. I see her eyes, wide and lifeless. Her face is dirty, and she lies naked in the mud. The same way she looked the very last time I saw her, and then I wake up. It's been two years since I lost her. Two years that I've been trying to find my way without her. It hasn't been easy. Loss is a hell of a thing. If you've never experienced it, I envy you. The pain never really goes away, and I still couldn't tell you how to handle it. Me, I drown it with everything I possibly can. Some nights I need a drink, some nights I need to get laid. Most of the time I hunt. It's nice to have a task of some sort to occupy my mind. I'm a hunter by nature. I've always loved the thrill of the chase, and I've always been good at it. Even without the wolf inside of me, hunting is in my blood. The wolf just makes it easier, more enjoyable, and when the moment of the kill comes... It makes the taste of fresh blood all the sweeter. I used to go out alone, right after Robin died. I'd head out after the sun went down and let the wolf out, although it was never the same without her. Once upon a time, the hunt was something we shared. 
In the darkness of the night, she and I would venture off into the woods, smiling and whispering to each other. When we were away from the town, we'd turn, and then we'd run, chasing animal scents. We were our own little pack, our own little family. It was perfect. Then I lost her. Fate can be cruel like that. The hunt is the only thing I have left. The only thing I can hold on to that I used to share with her. It's not something I'm keen to ever let go of, but doing it without her just felt empty, hollow. Hunting as a wolf is such an intense experience. Nothing else really compares. I have friends I often go out with, uh, people who don't know what I am. It's a shame I need to hide that from them, but werewolves don't exactly have a great reputation. We wait with our rifles and use our collars to lure prey. It's still enjoyable, but there's no chase. The rush isn't quite the same. Shooting a buck from a distance couldn't possibly compare to the primal thrill of ambushing it and ripping into it with claw and tooth. Regardless, I work with what I've got, and I'm happy to at least have that. Hiding what I really am is a fair enough trade-off for holding on to what I love, and having decent company to do it with. I don't get to let the wolf out as often as I'd like. These days, I'm lucky if I get to turn a couple of times a month, if that. Life gets in the way more often than not, and as much as I love the chase, I've learned to be careful. Werewolves aren't quite as resilient as some legends would claim. You don't need a silver bullet to kill one. I started my Sunday morning the same way I had too many times before. Slightly hungover, and in a stranger's bed at the university dorm. I vaguely remember the kid asleep beside me. Cute, blonde, probably five years younger than I am. I made a point not to wake him up as I got out of his bed and gathered up my clothes. It was early enough that nobody would notice me slipping out of the residence hall. I'm a little ashamed to admit that it wasn't my first time doing so. I was hungry, and since my life was already a disaster, I figured I couldn't do any more harm by stopping by the diner just across the street for breakfast. I ordered my usual, three over-easy eggs, with a side of sausage, pea meal, and rye toast, and with a black coffee. The sky was just starting to light up as dawn broke, and I figured I had time to head back home and sleep in my own bed for a few hours before having to deal with the day. Then, of course, my phone buzzed with an incoming call. The name of the display read MJ, and I almost didn't want to answer. MJ Montgomery used to be the girl at the record store to me. I can't remember how we'd gotten to the subject of dead spouses, but it was something we had in common. I'd lost Robin, and she'd lost her fiancé. People bond over the strangest things. She'd coped a little better than I had over the past years and a bit. I had some suspicions that she and her housemate Shelby had a thing going on, but I was never quite sure. Either way, she'd made it her personal mission in life to check in on me every few days. It's not like I hated it, but... Every now and then, it grated on me just a bit. Hi, MJ, I said as I answered the phone. I didn't ask how the hell she knew I was even up at this hour. Up late last night, she asked, 
There was a hint of weariness in her voice, as if she knew what I'd been up to. Might have been. What are you, psychic now? No, but I saw you at the college bar last night. Just wanted to make sure you got back okay. You looked pretty toasted. Yeah, I'm fine. I murmured, before a thought crossed my mind. Wait, what were you doing at a college bar? I just wanted to grab a drink with a friend. You looked busy, so I didn't want to bug you. You sure you're doing all right? I picked up the probing tone in her voice and didn't like where this was going. She'd probably seen me chatting up some guys and had spent the night worrying I'd do something dumb. She'd been half right. I'm getting by, I said, rubbing my temples. Our little chat wasn't doing wonders for my hangover. Sorry, MJ, I gotta run. I'll stop by later and say hi, all right? I hung up. She was sweet, but I could have done without her doting. I finished up my breakfast before heading home. It was a bit of a hike from downtown, but I didn't mind it. I figured the fresh air might do me some good. I'd hardly made it halfway down the block before the scent hit me. A scent I knew, but not one that I'd smelled very often. Another wolf. Not one that I recognized, either. I stopped dead in my tracks, taking in the morning air. Whoever it came from, it wasn't close. But Tavum Sound is surrounded by dense forest. Not a bad hiding spot for a wolf. The scent lingered in the air for a moment, and some primal instinct of mine demanded I follow it. If I could smell another wolf, there was no doubt that they could also smell me. Any lingering thoughts of sleep I had vanished pretty quickly. I am the only werewolf in Tavum Sound. A new scent was a big deal. Exactly what it meant, I couldn't quite say, but it had my undivided attention. I had met with other werewolves before, aside from Robin. Back in the day, she and I had even hunted with some of them, but it had been a while since one of them had passed through town. I won't lie, it did excite me a little bit. My social circle was fine, but I would have given anything to run into another wolf. Some old legends say that the first werewolves were brutal and evil people cursed by the Fae with a bestial form, although you'd never guess it by talking to most modern wolves. Contrary to what some might expect, most werewolves aren't all that hostile towards each other. In my experience, my kind has always been pretty sociable. Hell, in some cities there were even bars where wolves tended to hang out. At a glance, they looked like any ordinary establishment, and you'd never expect the patronage was bound by their shared inclination to turn into giants bipedal wolves. I was lost in thought as I made my way home. The smell was faint, but still present, and I was sure it was getting stronger as I got closer to home. Robin and I had owned an old farmhouse on the edge of town. It was a bit pricey to keep, but it had run in her family for years. Getting rid of it felt wrong, like a betrayal of some sort. Walking up the dirt road home, the smell was strong. The other wolf had been there, looking for me, perhaps. It didn't seem as if he was still around. The smell was too weak, but there was something else there, something dead. I paused and looked over towards the tree line. I couldn't see anything at a glance, but I knew that something was there. It was close. I trudged through the grass and into the forest. The smell got stronger. 
a fresh kill. Not just any kill, either. This was a bear. I smelled it long before I saw it. It lay in a heap on the ground, its stomach torn open. Its entrails were spewed out amongst the weeds. It couldn't have been dead for more than half an hour or so. I could smell the scent of the other wolf on its fur. No doubt they had been the one to do this. I scanned the trees around me, looking for movements, but I saw nothing. It was just me and the bear, well enough alone. I huffed before taking a step back from the dead animal, studying it and trying to figure out why it had been left for me. If this was some kind of threat or warning, it felt anemic. If I'd been trying to threaten someone, I wouldn't considerately leave a fresh bear in the woods by their house. I'd put its head on their porch. No, this felt more like some sort of offering or a gift. Placed somewhere, I'd smell it without coming into my territory. The other wolf knew where I was, and this was their means of reaching out. It was a little crude, but they certainly had my attention. And I had lunch. I hadn't taken many days off from my job at the quarry since Robin had died, so I had plenty of time saved up to investigate. I took a few days off, starting the very next day. I didn't want to keep my new friend waiting for too long. Judging by the scent on the wind, the other wolf had stayed in the area. I was glad he didn't just seem to be passing through. I figured he was probably waiting for my response, and I planned on giving it to him in person. I packed everything I thought I'd need. Supplies for a few days in the woods, and a hunting rifle, just in case I needed it. Then I headed down towards the old campground on the south side of town and started my trek. I had a feeling I wouldn't be out in the wilderness all that long, but there was a sense to follow, and my new friend clearly wasn't staying in town. It did occur to me that this was a little odd. Why wouldn't a wolf make themselves comfortable? However, I figured I'd get my answer soon enough. The scent was fresh. It wasn't hard to track the other wolf into the forest, and the further south I went, the stronger the scent got. About an hour after I started out, I began seeing signs as well. Nothing painfully obvious. A dead deer and signs of a camp. My new friend was also a hunter, it seemed. He'd taken what he needed from the body and left it for the other animals. The corpse was a few days old, and close by I found footprints. A trail I could follow deeper into the wilderness. Whoever he was, he certainly wasn't hiding. I stopped at his former campground for lunch, a slow-cooked bear sandwich, before I continued on. The daylight was fading, but the scent was getting stronger. The wolf had left a clear path, and I realized that he must have known I'd follow it. He was leading me on, and that just intrigued me all the more. Now I wanted to see where this ended. I needed to. In time, the trail led me to a dirt road. This was well off the beaten path. I doubted the road I was on even had a name. Up near the end, I could see a gravel driveway leading up towards a small cabin with lights in the windows. There were plenty of cottages around Tavum Sound with lots of lakes that summer visitors enjoyed. This might have been a nicer one in the 80s, but now it was showing its age. Someone had obviously tried to maintain it, but it didn't look like they'd had much money to put into it. The sky was getting dark. My journey was almost at its end, 
and I headed down towards the cabin. I could see a figure sitting on the porch, no doubt waiting for me. I suppose I should have expected as much. As far as I could tell, he was alone. I could see a shimmering lake behind the cabin, and I could smell roast venison. No doubt prepared in anticipation of my arrival. He'd probably been able to smell me coming a mile off. I wasn't sure what I'd expected. A rugged older man with a beard, perhaps. Someone more stereotypically masculine. What I got wasn't that, but I can't say I was disappointed either. He was young and handsome, clean-shaven, but I suspected he would have looked nice with a bit of stubble. His hair was blonde, and he had a Nordic look to him. His body was toned beneath his clothes. He'd cleaned himself up well. You must be from Tavem Sound, he said softly as I drew nearer. And you must be the one who left the bear, I replied. I stopped just in front of his cabin. The boy nodded slowly. I hope I don't make you uncomfortable or frighten you, but I wanted to get your attention. When I came here, I could smell you. I hadn't met anyone like me before. I wasn't sure how to proceed, and I didn't want to come off as a threat. His tone implied something else, although I tried not to read into it. An offer? I said. Something like that. I made dinner if you're hungry. I've also got beer. His intentions seemed honorable enough. I didn't sense anything off, and so I went in to join him. Do you have a name? I asked him, as I joined him inside the cabin. It was modestly furnished, but still fairly nice. Graham. Uh, Luke Graham. He replied from the kitchen. Yours? Miller. Amanda Miller. I replied, teasing his nerves. You know, that was an awfully ballsy move, at what you did with that bear yesterday. Hopefully he didn't come off as too bold, he replied, coming out of the kitchen. He held a beer for me to drink. He pulled out a chair for me at his kitchen table, and I sat down across from him. The jury's still out on that, I replied, as I took a long swig. So, you've never met another wolf, huh? Nope. Haven't seen anything else like me since I got turned. You were turned? I asked, frowning. You weren't? No. Not a lot of people get turned unless they mess around with things they shouldn't. Old things in the forest and the like. A flush of embarrassment crossed his face. It told me everything I needed to know. Best not to get involved with those things. But I suppose now you've learned your lesson. I noted. Consider yourself lucky. It's not bad being a wolf. There are whole communities of us in Toronto and Hamilton. Probably elsewhere, too. But you're the only one in Tavem Sound, he said. Yeah. I always thought it was a little ironic, but most people indulge the human side of them more than they indulge the wolf. It's easier to build a nice life with a cushy job down in the GTA. They stay down there to work. Then on the weekends, they head up north vanish into the woods, and have the best of both worlds. Not you, though, he said. I shrugged. I've got reasons to stick around, I said. You, on the other hand, I'm guessing you came up here to hide. I took another swig of my beer. I had a bit of trouble back in Sudbury, where I used to live. 
he said. I just got that feeling, you know, that need to hunt, and it felt good. Then I guess people started getting scared. It took some time getting used to what I am now. I wasn't too sure what else to do, he admitted. I haven't been like this for very long. I like it. I really, really do. The power you feel when you turn, it's amazing. I just... I don't know how to act. Around another wolf. I finished. He nodded. Yeah. Well, lesson one. Relax. The wolf doesn't make you any less human. It's not some beast you have to fight back. It's part of you. Embrace it. Love it. Don't be ashamed of it. You are what you are now. And don't ever apologize for it. Right, he said, and managed a sheepish smile. I mean, I'm trying. I really am. I... I'm sorry. I'm rambling. I imagined this going so much differently. I raised an eyebrow at him, and it dawned on me that his adorable sheepish demeanor was coming from somewhere else besides general social awkwardness. The way he blushed, the way he displayed the bear by my house. I'd seen this before. It all clicked into place. That little thing had been trying to flirt. He was absolutely terrible at it, but bless his heart, he tried. Did you now? I asked, half teasing now. Well, you got my attention. Now I'm here. What exactly did you expect was going to happen? I, I'm not looking for a fight, if that's what you're asking, he insisted. I've made my peace with this. I can live with what I am. I indulge it every now and then, you know. I enjoy it, but, well, why enjoy it alone? And there it was. He had a cute, shy smile to him that I liked and I mulled over the prospect of giving him what he wanted in my head. So long as he had more beer, I was certainly open to it. He'd make a good enough distraction for a night, and he was my type after all, blonde and cute. I polished off my beer in silence, and he watched me intently, unable to hide the slight blush that had dusted his cheeks. I almost enjoyed keeping him waiting even though I'd already made up my mind. If you think you can keep up, maybe I'll indulge with you, I said. I tipped him a smile and watched him melt. He tried to smile, the confident smile of some dumb, horny twenty-something who thought he could take on the world. I think I can, he said, and it was the first thing he said to me that he sounded entirely sure of. The sex was incredible. I hadn't expected such a meek little thing to be so rough. Graham had that insatiable stamina I've come to enjoy from men like him, and I suspect the wolf in him only served to amplify that. I hadn't been with another wolf since Robin, but Graham had an energy to him that I outright adored. He almost kept up with me. To say that I enjoyed that odd little booty call would be an understatement, but at the moment I still don't see it as anything more than it was. Two strangers intermingling in a fit of animal lust for that familiar rush of dopamine that we're all after in one way or another. When all was said and done, I rolled off of him and rested my head on the pillow to sleep. I could feel him trying to spoon me, and I allowed it. If he wanted to pretend this was something meaningful for a night, who was I to stop him? Either way, 
I'd found what I was looking for, and I'd be gone in the morning. End of story. I'm not quite sure how long I slept for. Longer than I wanted to, to be sure. I know that I tossed in turns, but that's to be expected. I haven't slept easy in two years, and another hedonistic night of sex and alcohol wasn't going to change that. I still dreamt about Robin. I still saw her face, her gentle blue eyes and flowing blonde hair. I felt her touch on my cheek in the moonlight and saw her smile before. I awoke, clutching the pillow close to my chest. I'd curled into a ball and I could hear Graham's voice in the distance. His hand was on my shoulder, shaking me gently. Amanda? he asked. Amanda, are you okay? I felt my muscles tense as I grounded myself in reality again. I could feel my fingers curling into claws that ripped the fabric of the pillow before I calmed myself and sat up. I'm fine, I murmured as I rubbed my temples. In the dawn light, he didn't look convinced, and I didn't really care. What time is it? I asked, before remembering that I'd booked the day off. Uh, five, I think. Uh, six, maybe. You're moving a lot. Uh, are you sure you're okay? I'm fine. A frustrated tone had crept into my voice. I got out of the bed and stretched. The bones in my spine popped in the most satisfying way, but it didn't ease any of the tension in my shoulders. I started looking for my clothes as Graham sat in the back, watching me. What are you doing? he asked. Heading out, I replied. Last night was fun. It really was. I've got to run some errands in town, though. You're not staying? he asked. I scoffed. Staying for what? Well, I... we just... I was hoping you might want to run off into the woods and rip some deer apart? I asked. He was silent. Look, I had fun, I said. I really did, but if you're looking for your Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm not the mentor type, and I'm really not looking for a relationship right now. If you want to run or fool around later, you know where to find me. But right now, I've got to get going. The poor kid looked genuinely dejected, like some poor lost puppy. I almost felt bad for him. Almost. So, uh, maybe we could see each other again? He asked, hopefully. I paused, dressing and choosing my words carefully before I spoke. I've got a few days off work. Like I said, you know where to find me. He seemed at least happy to hear that. Right. Okay, then. Well, uh, could I give you a ride into town at least? Save you the hike back? Now that I couldn't pass up. Graham dropped me off at my place so I could at least get a fresh change of clothes and a proper shower. I'd been a little afraid that, when I was done, he'd still be in his truck outside my house, waiting for me, but thankfully he was gone by the time I was ready to head into town. I'd been meaning to drop some of that bear off at MJ's. Her housemate had a taste for wild game, and despite the doting, she's still decent company. MJ is a short and cute little thing, with long brown hair and big round glasses. Her face lit up with a familiar, timid smile when she saw me at the door. Hey, what brings you to the neighborhood? She asked. I held up the Tupperware I'd brought filled with bear. 
I had a special delivery, I replied. I figured you and your friends might want some. I don't think I can eat a whole bear by myself. Bear? MJ asked, taking the Tupperware. I didn't think you hunted bear. I don't, but a guy I know killed one and left me with it. A whole bear? MJ asked, obviously skeptical, judging by the look in her eyes. She was putting some of the pieces together. Jeez, he must have liked you a lot. <laughs> Seems to. He's a little brash and very awkward, but I guess we got a bit in common. Still, I'm not really sure I'm looking for a relationship right now. I followed MJ into the kitchen and watched as she put the meat in her fridge. She took out a pitcher of lemonade and poured us both a glass while I grabbed a seat at the counter. You tell him that? She asked as she brought me my glass. Of course. He took it well enough. Are you going to see him again? That was the million dollar question, wasn't it? Maybe. We'll see. I took a sip of the lemonade and listened for any movement upstairs. Shelby didn't seem to be around. Well, I think you should. You said you've got a lot in common, right? Maybe it'll be good for you. You know, having someone you can relate to. I... I just said I'm not looking for anyone, MJ. Who said it has to be anything? I just think that maybe it'll be good for you to just sort of have someone, you know? You don't have to date them, but... I don't know. You always just seemed kind of aimless. I hummed in response as I stared down at my lemonade. I suppose MJ had a point. Truth be told, it kind of worries me. I mean, I get it. But when I lost Nathan, I kind of just buried it all for a bit. Then, when I couldn't do that anymore, I really didn't know what to do with myself. If I hadn't met Shelby, I don't know how I would have handled it. It was nice to have someone around, though, and I think it might help you, too. You're dating again, I warned her, half-teasing. Sorry, she said, offering a small, apologetic smile. I gave her an affectionate nudge before emptying my cup and mulling over what she said. It wasn't the first time I'd wondered if she had a point, but something about her tone, it got me thinking. I'd met Robin on a hiking trail in Hamilton when I was around 18. I'd grown up in a rough part of town, and I'd been hanging out with the crowd there ever since I was a kid. Every weekend we'd get drunk, ride down to the forest, and let the wolf out. We'd tear through the woods, hunting fresh meat and ripping it to shreds. We'd never killed anyone, God no. But every now and then some of us liked to spook the locals. I did it a little more than most mainly because I thought I had something to prove. I'd leaned into my reputation as the crazy, fiery redhead of the group, and I probably would have kept doing that until one day, one of those hikers I'd startled fought back. One moment, I'd been staring down some cute blonde going for a walk, and the next, I was staring down an eight-foot-tall wolf who'd knocked me on my ass. I'd run off whimpering and scared for my life for the first time. I'd expected she'd chase me, but... No. Soon as I was out of sight, she vanished. I ran into her again at a bar a few weeks later, and the moment our eyes met, I knew she recognized me. I'd expect her to get mad or something, but she just smiled at me and came over and said, Hope I didn't spook you too hard, Pop. I never thought that would be how I met the love of my life, but 
That was it. When Robin came into my life, everything changed. Life stopped being about the thrill. She showed me that it could be quite simple and beautiful. If it weren't for her, I don't know who I might have become. Some of the folks I used to run with got put down after going too far. One of them killed a human. Another got hit by a truck. Things like that. It's not any way for a wolf to die. For so long, Robin had grounded me. She'd been my better half, and when she died, she took away the best of me. I would have given anything to get it back. Why don't we head out for the night? I'd said to Graham. I stopped by his cottage again, the day after I'd talked to MJ. We'd screwed and relaxed in the afterglow when I'd said it. Uh, Out? he'd asked. Like a hunt? Yeah, why not? I'd looked over at him, and his eyes had lit right up. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, he said, and I'd gotten out of bed. I didn't bother dressing myself, and just waited for him to follow. The sky above was beautifully dark, and looking into it, I exhaled as I unleashed the wolf. It felt so good to set it free again. Beside me, I could see Graham changing as well. He scampered away like a puppy, grinning from ear to ear. His eyes never left me. We both picked up the scent of some nearby deer almost immediately, and I led the charge. We closed on them quickly, prowling through the bush. He was clumsy, but he followed my direction. When I motioned for him to stay put while I circled around to run them into him, he seemed to understand. The deer looked up once or twice at the sound of rustling brush, but they weren't spooked enough to run. Not until I wanted them to, at least. When I leapt out of the brush to startle them, they were already dead. Robin and I had done this a hundred times. The moment the deer saw me, they bolted and they ran right into Graham. He sprang from the surrounding brush and caught one of the fleeing deer, a doe, by the throat. With overwhelming strength, he slammed it against the dirt and sank his teeth into its throat, damn near decapitating it with the sheer force of his bite. His claws dug into its body, crushing its ribs, and it took me a moment to realize that the poor thing was still alive, for the time being, at least. It wouldn't last much longer, bleeding out onto the dirt. I'll admit, I hadn't expected that much enthusiasm from him. Most wolves usually weren't so aggressive, but I chalked it up to adrenaline. The deer's companions ran off, but I let them go. We had our prey. Graham and I ate well that night. We hauled that deer back to his little cabin, and I showed him how to take it apart properly. I couldn't remember the last time I'd had so much fun, and if it had never stopped, maybe I would have been happy. Hunting with Graham became my new pastime for the next month or so. Every weekend, he and I would race through the woods, sometimes never changing back until we had to return to civilization. During my weekdays, I'd work at the quarry. Sometimes he'd come over afterwards and we'd sit and talk. He told me about his life up in Sudbury, where up until recently he'd been a quiet, miserable college kid digging into old Fay stories and I'd told him about mine in Hamilton. I knew he saw the old pictures of me and Robin on the walls, but it was a while before he ever asked about them. Who was she? The question had come out of nowhere on a quiet Thursday night and it derailed my train of thought. Sorry, I didn't mean to. It's okay if you don't want to talk about it. It's fine. I sighed, 
as I rested my head on his shoulder. I figured you were going to ask eventually. I took a moment, working up to it before I finally began. I told him everything. How we'd met in Hamilton, why I'd come up to Tavum Sound with her, and why I'd stayed after she was gone. If you don't mind me asking, what happened to her? Was his next question. I'd figured that was coming too, and I'd been dreading it. Some hunter saw us running one night and figured she was a bear, I said, struggling to keep my voice even. Vic Moore, I'd seen him around before. I heard he was a hell of a shot, and never thought I'd see it firsthand. He hit her in the throat. As soon as I saw her go down, though, all I saw was red. Every fiber of my being wanted to rip him limb from limb, but she was there, lying in the dirt. She'd changed back, and I couldn't stop the bleeding. She was looking into my eyes. One minute she was there, and then... I shook my head. She wasn't. Jesus, he said quietly. He tried to put a hand on my shoulder, and I shrugged it off. I think I'm going to call it a night, I said. Just talking about Robin had exhausted me. I'll see you later. Graham tried to stammer something, but I really didn't pay much attention to it. I just wanted to be alone for a while. It was Saturday when Graham called me next, a few days after I'd told him about Robin. As tough as that night had been, my mind was in other places as I drove down to his cabin. If anything... I'd say I was in a good mood and looked forward to enjoying this weekend just as I had the last few I'd spent with him. Graham was waiting for me out front of his cabin when I pulled up, which I found just a bit unusual. He looked like an eager puppy as I got out of my car and even came down to greet me with a kiss. Today my birthday or something? I asked, half-joking. Something like that. I was thinking about what you said the other night, so... I got you a present. My eyebrow raised. A present, I repeated. Although before I could ask anything more, he took me by the hand and pulled me towards the woods. Come on, you're going to love it. I followed him, curious as to what exactly he had in mind and hoping that it wasn't another bear. I hadn't even finished eating the last one yet. As he led me through the woods, I picked up a scent of sweat and fear. It wasn't long before I saw his present, and when I did, I couldn't take another step forward. I hadn't said a word to Vic Moore ever since I'd lost Robin, but I never wanted to see him like he was then. His arms were bound above his head, and his body was lashed to a tree. His eyes were wide with terror, and he struggled to get free and tried to scream through the rag stuffed into his mouth. What do you think? Graham asked cheerfully. I found him. Vic Moore, the guy you told me about. I stayed frozen to the spot, staring at him, before looking back at Graham. What the hell is this? I asked. You said he's the one that killed your wife, didn't you? He asked. I can see it all over your face, Amanda. I know that what he did hurt you, and it hurt you badly. I love you. I really do. And I don't want you to live with that pain anymore. So, I thought, maybe it'll make you feel better to get some closure. Closure? I asked, 
It took a moment before my brain registered what he was talking about. No. Jesus, Graham, no. W why not? You said you wanted to tear him limb from limb. There's no one here but me. We can do it together. I can even cut him loose, and we could hunt him down if you wanted. No. Graham, just let him go. He blinked, looking back at me with genuine confusion. Why? Why? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Because we're not murderers. No, we're better than them. Better than him. You told me that the wolf is part of us. To embrace it, love it, and not be ashamed of it. You said that we are what we are, and not to ever apologize for it. We are the Alpha Predators. You and me. You have helped me embrace what I am. I want to help you now. This isn't helping anyone, I said. For Christ's sake, just let him go. Graham's eyes remained locked onto mine, still confused. Then a new look came over his face. He'll tell people if I do. But don't worry. It's okay. If you don't want to do it, I can do it for you. His body began to change, and as it did, Vic's eyes grew slowly wider and wider. Graham loomed over him, hulking and covered in coarse white fur. His blue eyes settled on Vic, and he drew back his claw for one fatal swipe. I couldn't let that happen. I raced to Graham, my body changing as I did. When I hit him, I hit him at top speed. We hit the ground hard, and he looked at me, still confused. He truly didn't understand why I was doing this. I glared back at him, warning him to back off. For moments, I was sure he'd stop. But I guess I thought too much of him. Graham came at me, lunging at me and sinking his fangs into my shoulder. I writhed beneath his weight, struggling to get him off of me, tearing at his hide and staining it red with blood. I slammed him against a tree, hard enough to splinter it before he relented. When he came for me again, I was ready for him. I caught him as he charged and forced him to the side, sending him off balance. Graham fell and rolled through the dirt before getting up and burying his fangs at me. I stared back at him, silently pleading with him to stop, but he had made up his mind already. If I wasn't going to hunt with him, I was just more prey. He rushed at me one last time, and this time I fought back. My claws raked across his face as our bodies collided, spraying blood across the dirt. I shoved him hard, knowing he would keep trying to attack. He was vicious, but I was smart. As he leapt for me, I caught him by the throat and forced him onto the ground. He kicked and squirmed beneath my grip before I clamped my jaws down on his throat until I tasted blood. I could hear Graham whimpering with pain before I shoved him aside and watched him roll in the dirt, his rear legs kicking weakly as blood spilled from the gash in his throat. I could see his body shrinking, slowly starting to change back. I closed my eyes and exhaled before letting the wolf leave me. Graham was a pitiful sight, lying amongst the fallen leaves and bleeding out. I stared at him for the last time, watching him twitch and gasp before turning away. I couldn't watch someone else I cared about bleed out into the dirt, even if they had truly been a monster. I returned to the tree where Vic had been tied up and locked eyes with him. He was dead silent, unable to do more than sputter and sob. That and the dark stain on his pants said enough. 
I raised one hand and let it change before ripping through the rope that had bound him. Vic collapsed to the ground and pressed himself against the tree, no doubt terrified of me. I couldn't blame him. Hell, I couldn't imagine what was going through his mind at that moment. Go home, was all I said to him before heading into Graham's cabin, where I'd left a change of clothes. Vic was gone when I stepped out again a few minutes later. Part of me wondered if he'd tell people what he saw, although even if he did, who would believe him? I buried Graham in a shallow grave, the kind of grave fit for an animal. Then I took the beer from his fridge and drove down to MJ's. I had a lot to tell her and a lot to confess. She took it a lot better than I'd expected, and when at last I couldn't hold it in anymore, she let me rest my head in her lap as I cried over all I'd lost. It didn't get rid of any of the pain, but it felt a lot better than burying it.